Hi, my name is Kate, and this is The Sex Salon. I had actually retired my podcast a while back, but then the world changed. Following is a mini-series of free episodes on love and sex in Berlin after COVID, well, after it became part of our lives. I'll be covering porn, dating, and sexual health with some of my friends and experts, and putting up lots of juicy links. I do hope you enjoy. When the lockdown hit us, it was a truly terrifying time. We had no idea what this virus was, how long we would have to stay in our homes, or what was going to happen to life as we knew it. But as a highly creative species, we started to adapt to this kind of new life, some quickly, some slowly. But it wasn't long before we had developed a new set of vocabulary and a new technical skill set. Obviously, we spent a lot more time in front of our multiple screens. And with more screen time comes more porn time. Porn has long been known to be a reflection of our society, playing with taboos, power structures, and social constructions. But in a world of classics, porn makers often long for new narratives. The novelty of the coronavirus did not get surpassed by this opportunity. So it's quite evident that porn makers are integrating this zeitgeist. But besides the new storylines, how did the pandemic impact the porn industry? Here to shed some light on it, I have Theo Miao, a science journalist and a porn filmmaker based in Berlin. He's also part of the porn crew Miao Miao, who specializes in psychedelic porn. And he's also part of the DNA of the Berlin Porn Film Festival. So without further ado, welcome to you, Theo. Hello, Kate. <laughs> nice to have you in the studio, home studio. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Theo, I'm just going to get right to it. How was your life like before the, the pandemic hit? Yeah, well, I have the tendency to always like say yes to all kinds of projects. And then usually I'm just like, Ooh, wow, how am I going to do all of that? We had a lot of like indie porn projects going on. We were like editing, filming, thinking about new projects. And besides, I always have to like earn money, of course. And that's kind of a contradiction because we don't make so much money with our porn. This is a bit funny thing because usually like porn is known to like that people do it to make money. But for me, quite the opposite was true. I was always like investing my money to generate new ideas and, and to make sexual explicit films about things that aren't usually yeah used uh, to, to make porn. And I want to like discover new fetishes and new uh, niche things. And so I, as I understood it, you did like some more commercial porn shoots and then from that made some money to do more of the passion projects, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I was also like doing commercial shoots. I was also performing in porn. And besides that, I still have like my science journalist career, which is kind of like the opposite world. So it's always a mix. Like money comes from porn, money goes to porn. But my passion lies really in this like artsy, reflective or, or political porn shorts. Uh, how I see it, this is like one of the things that the Berlin porn scene does quite well. What are the characteristics of the, the Berlin porn scene especially? I got into the Berlin porn scene around 2015 when I didn't really know that a thing like this existed. Because, you know, I, I started alone in my own bedroom and thought like, oh, okay, I'm going to start that thing. And then I discovered, no, I am really not the first one. There are a lot of like amazing people out there. 
who do a lot of like uh, independent porn projects. Uh, some of them are artists, some of them have more like a political agenda. What kind of unites them? Lots of energy. They're, they're always like uh, really working a lot on their projects, even though they don't really earn a lot of money with it. And it's kind of a family. So like everybody works with everyone. Yeah, as soon as you know, like a few people, then you get like invited to new projects. After some months, I kind of like knew almost everyone in this like independent porn scene. Yeah, because it's a yeah. like a circular economy, basically, right? It's yeah. a lot of like trading favors. and Yeah, like some projects are paid or like people try some symbolic payments. But other projects I also do like completely for free if I really like the idea, that is. There's also a downside, like we all need to like pay our rents and rent is getting more expensive during the years. And so it's always a bit frustrating that, yeah, you, you spend a lot of energy and like I, I really know that I want to do this. But on the other hand, almost all the people that I know have, have a side job to fund all of that. And so when the, because um, it sounds like it's a very tight-knit community. Um, I mean, Berlin's a big city, but it's not that big. <laughs> and so how was the reaction of your community, basically, when the when the pandemic hit? When the pandemic hit, for me personally, like, everything changed. We just released our first feature film, The Sad Girls of the Mountains, and we were invited to a few festivals and so we thought like this will be like the summer festivals where we like finally also get you know some fame and can like travel around the world and present our movie and then bam all the plans were cancelled my calendar went from super full to like completely empty and yeah i think i went through the different stages of mourning at First, like denial, like, oh, it won't be that bad. And like the new things will come up. Then suddenly I was shocked, like, what the fuck? What am I going to do with my life? <laughs> and then at the end, like acceptance. <laughs> and I thought like, okay, let's just do the best out of it. And I thought maybe it's also a good way for me to just like do a break, not think so much about new projects and what to do next. And just like, you know, spend some time uh, in my room reading some books, uh, going out uh, in the nature and so on. But to be honest, <laughs> this didn't last for so long. So I No, because then, mm -hmm. then you were part of, you were a big uh, group of 16 filmmakers who started a project like quite quickly into the, the lockdown, as I remember it. So it was um, a point film called Sex in Times of Corona. Can you tell me a little bit about that? So I think it was around March when we said like, hey, come on, we must do something. We, we sit here in our living rooms and we feel kind of kind of useless. Maybe it was a little bit too fast. Maybe we should have waited a little bit. But we thought, hey, we, we really must do something to like get out of this state of agony. A lot of people who were like uh, full service sex workers, escorts, prostitutes, lost also all their earnings from one time to another and not all of them were able to like get like uh, state fundings of course due to their precarious situation and so we thought hey maybe we should just do like a solidarity porn movie where everybody contributes like a little piece and it all adds to like one short film and uh, yeah people can give a donation 
to a fundraiser that uh, yeah collects money for like um, sex workers in need. Whoever donates gets a link to our movie. And yeah, that actually worked out pretty fine. The idea of the movie was 11 ways how you can have uh, sex despite the lockdown. So like in a kind of like a funny and humorous way, we try to present different ideas how to have sex and still keep the idea of social distancing. For example, we had like a social distancing dildo with like a stick that was one and a half meters long or so, or like, yeah, sex with a gas mask on and like, yeah, different ideas or how you can also like have fun with yourself without other partners. Yeah, and a lot of the episodes we did ourselves in our own living room. I live in a flat share with two other people who are also porn filmmakers. We yeah realized some of the ideas, but we also asked friends who did also contribute um, certain episodes and they often did it themselves in their own living room, either alone or with their intimate partner. So like, yeah, we tried to say, okay, let's do the best out of this new situation and yeah, just try to see, can we also do porn without being like a big group of people all coming together in one place? Yeah, that might be like the future of porn, actually. It's interesting that, you know, this whole idea came about because you actually wanted to help. As you mentioned there was like a whole big group of workers, like sex workers who were like without any chance of having government funding, especially people who are migrant workers, which are most of the sex workers there are in Germany. And they kind of like just fall out of the system. And the relief fund is like an opportunity for these people to actually uh, get some money. And we also got some publicity in ZDF and big German uh, news channel. So there are like some opportunities for porn to shed light on certain topics. And do you feel there's like other ways that you see yourself using porn to the greater good? Yeah, to, to speak of our movie, uh, Sex in Times of Corona, it was really funny because when we released it, we, we thought like, okay, maybe we, you know, collect some hundred bucks. Uh, but then it was like an immediate success. Um, A lot of media requests we got and uh, like, yeah, we were covered by, by several media and they wanted really to tell the story. Maybe also because, you know, it was the lockdown and there was not so many news. And so like, it's a nice story to tell. But also I felt uh, this helped to like shed light on this like niche of society that is usually not so many people know about it. And yeah, it, uh, eventually we collected over 7,000 euros with this movie. And it's still going on because, you know, like the next lockdown might come soon and still many sex workers live in a precarious situation. Well, a lot of my, my friends and acquaintances uh, who are also porn filmmakers have like found their very own way to use porn, yeah, to shed light on political subjects and yeah, also to use it for kind of a good cause. For example, uh, my friend Maria Basura has a project called Fuck the Fascism. She's from Chile and she travels around the world and discovers monuments uh, with a like a racist colonial background. And then she kind of like fucks the monument and uses this to like also tell, tell the story behind the monument and like the racist connotations and yeah, to connect the colonial racist times um, and how uh, these narratives still persist until today. And so like this is, for example, one of many ways uh, that people are using also porn and the many narratives of porn um, like in a progressive way to yeah discuss political issues that's an amazing project i haven't heard of that but i imagine like they 
now we had you know a big black lives matter movement and there was a lot of like like monuments from colonial time they were like torn down in in the states it <laughs> could have been fun to like do a fuck tour of them Absolutely. <laughs> So uh, just a, like a few days into the pandemic, people were already like searching for coronavirus porn. The scenarios were like the ones in your film, maybe, you know, how do you have like socially distant sex? But it was also like about people breaking quarantine, about doctor-patient testing relationships and exchange of like, I guess, toilet paper for blowjobs or something like that, you know, just like to mention a few. But it wasn't just the, the type of porn, but also like the amount of porn usage that like blew up. And obviously because people had a lot more time on their hands and they were sitting at home in front of screens. But I also came across a really interesting article by the social psychologist Justin Lee Miller from the Kinsey Institute. And he points out that humans have a tendency to eroticize their fear. So if something scares us, we like eroticize it and, and maybe... Yeah, I don't know, wank to it somehow if that's like a way of having a coping mechanism almost. And and I was just curious with now it was a subject that you started working with in porn, if this like eroticization of fear was a subject you already thought about or something you became aware about while doing the, um, the film. Yeah, like the Porn Film Festival just finished and we were surprised because we also put our movie Sex in Times of Corona um, to the Porn Film Festival and there was like a whole program of short films uh, which all de dealt with, yeah, Corona, the pandemic and we were not the only one. There were a lot of like artsy approaches and as you said, like a lot of them dealt with the fear like with with this, like, for example, being locked down in your flat and uh, like your life stops and you're not able to go out. Yeah, I think that's a very common topic in porn, this like erotization of fears. There's even in German, there's a certain term called like Angstlust, which describes this connection of fear and sexual arousal. Yeah, I think that's quite typical for yeah a lot of fetishes and uh, also for porn movies. I wouldn't necessarily say that it uh, like can explain everything that's going on in, in the porn world, right? There's a lot of fetishes and some have to do with fear, but also some not at all. Yeah, but I definitely think there's a deep connection, yes. So we might, we're definitely going to see a lot more of it in the future. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. And like, I mean, like also the, the past is full of examples. I have to think of this like horror genre. Horror and porn are like quite similar. There's a lot of parallels because they also like go very heavy on our like physical reactions and uh, try to like evoke heavy physical reactions inside ourselves. And of course, there are also like lot, 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 there's an overlap. There are like also movies which are like horror and porn at the same time and so on. Yeah, and for me that totally makes sense. Yeah, the old exploitation genre. Yeah, for example. Yeah, Ilsa. Oh, gosh, <laughs> <I've seen yes. laughs> she Wolf of ESS. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> that was the first ever sexploitation film I saw. And I was like, I had no idea. I was like, what is it I'm watching? Like, I was just like flabbergasted. Mm -hmm. I was like, is it porn? Is it torture? Is it what? Like, mm -hmm. I don't get it. <laughs> yeah. But now I've become like a massive fan of the genre. <laughs> I think it also has a lot to do with the like taboo, taboo status of sexuality in general. 
people don't talk so much about their fantasies and about their sexual desire. And in that way, um, I mean, like sexuality is a part of us, but as not so many people talk about it, can become a subject of fear also. Mm. And especially when, when I watch like old exploitation films from the 70s, they always deal with things that nowadays are kind of like, I would say, um, it wouldn't be such a problem to live this out in a consensual way, for example, like in BDSM relationship or so. So, yeah, they they make a big thing out of it and present it as like a subject of fear, but it doesn't have to be that way, I guess. Yeah, because society changes and what's socially acceptable changes. Mm -hmm. Also, like, you know, like adultery was, mm -hmm. would be like a big theme and especially the... The like early like Scandinavian blue cinema from like late 60s and 70s was like, ooh, adulterous women, you know, mm -hmm. are single mothers. I saw a trailer <laughs> for this once where that was like, you know, outrageous. And they were like obviously like sexual degenerates and so on. <laughs> But now you're like, no, it's not really such a... <laughs> I mean, there's kind of like an interesting relationship between porn and taboo, I guess, because of course, like porn often gets like oppressed. It's not out there in the world. You have to find it like uh, in niches and in special shops or now in, in the internet on, on special websites. And there's a lot of ban from the payment processors and so on from youth protection laws. Mm. But at the same time, I think also porn needs these taboos that it can exist. And if like social taboos just like break, um, porn is about to invent new taboos. And yeah, it always has this like tendency to, to scandalize things, to, to, to make it like a new taboo. For example, when you look at Pornhub, a, a lot of these titles sound like captions of, of like a tabloid paper or so. Like, oh my God, uh, brother and sister find together or whatever you know like at the last time i saw that a lot of like these like incest porn is, is like rising and there, there can't be so many people with like an incest fetish but it's still all over the place and i think just because it's such a taboo uh, they kind of use it yeah and i guess that's one of the oldest taboos that's also gonna stay a taboo forever basically <laughs> because of the the way human nature works human biology that you do not don't hook up with your next of kin but so many other things that are more like social constructs they can mm -hmm. change throughout time and i always think about it as like working within the field of sex education like our you know like mission is always that we need to like normalize the conversation about sex and normalize you know fetishes or like you know whatever kind of like desire people have like whenever something is like consensual and so on and so on that it's good and we should like spread light on it but then on the flip side there's <laughs> like oh but you know then you kind of kill the when you kill taboo you also kill the excitement you know and again it differentiates it's such a big scale for some people like anal sex is like massively taboo massive kink and for other people that is like very very common practice so of course it's it's different from person to person and i'm like i don't i guess i want to give people the right information about anal sex but i don't want to kill the kink of it you know <laughs> yeah. I, i think you won't personally i think yeah um, a lot of taboos are like yeah meant to be broken and of course with the rise of cool sex education like from people like you of course i think like a lot of taboos decay in some way but i also think that always new taboos will arise i think with society as it is now like one when one taboo vanishes then a new one will come
It was also interesting how uh, masturbation has been highlighted a lot, like during the the lockdown, because we needed to keep social distancing. And a lot of like health official health sites, like you can go to the like city of New York official health site, amongst others. I've seen Australians. I've seen like lots around Europe where they like highlight that that sex is, you know, you should only do it with like your regular partner, like stay away from like having, you know, casual sex with strangers to like minimize the risk of, of Corona. But then the, everybody was highlighting mm. masturbation, just like that's a, like a really safe way to have, you know, sex. And, and there's been like a rise of sex toy sales and so on, but it's like an actual health recommendation. <laughs> Well, that's kind of weird, right? Because like, I think 100 years ago, there was like this big fight against masturbation. And yeah, there was almost like a, a war, especially against like uh, yeah, young male people. And they were like tied to the bed and so on. And now, yeah, as you said, it kind of becomes like an official health recommendation. An ambiguous development, I don't know. On one hand side, I, um, I really love it, of course, uh, that we like start this conversation and that it becomes more normalized and um, that people lose their fears. And of course, also for the sex industry, this means a lot of changes. A lot of my friends who worked as like one-on-one -on -one full service sex workers now yeah, go to OnlyFans. And I think there was a big rise also of online porn, especially of porn that is made like, yeah, in your private bedroom without a big company. On the other hand, It always gives me a weird feeling this, you know, like this rise of this conversation about, yeah, this is just fine and just do it and you will be happy and everything will be good. Because first I kind of miss the conversation about why we actually have the desires that we have and where they stem from. You know, like there's always this discourse like you decide what you want and, and you do it and then it's fine but I, I think that's not really true because also like our, our desires stem from like power structures within, within society and I didn't find so much space where we can reflect on that and also I don't know <laughs> during the lockdown when I had a lot of free time I, I was reading a lot of like these uh, Foucault books about sexuality and truth so I'm always now a bit ambiguous about this like conversation about sex because it can also be like a way to penetrate discourses uh, that were before kind of like also in some way free because it wasn't really talked about it and you had like also kind of like a safe space for yourself in some way And then it also gets like penetrated by societal norms and becomes part, part of a conversation. And yeah. So you're saying that even though it's changes, like it's replaced old norms with new norms, there's still like a reflection there that's not happening. Yeah, definitely. No. Yeah. It's, you know, like, it's not that I don't want this conversation because I love it and I'm also part of it, of course, especially we with our, like, Berlin indie porn scene, also for the Porn Film Festival, we, we're part of this conversation, uh, which is a good thing, I think. But at, at the same time, it always leaves me with a, with a grain of salt. So you say that there's a certain conversation about the reflection on why we eroticized like based on social yeah. structures and so on you know i'm a bit skeptical because uh like this new rise of uh sex education 
just seems to fit too smooth and too perfectly like within our like a new neoliberal capitalist society yeah the, you have this like huge rising sex toy industry uh, which is of course in some ways a good thing but at the same time it kind of leads to like sex being a product and an orgasm is something that you can just like buy in some way and also like yeah there's a huge rise of so-called ethical porn people are just told like hey yeah the porn that exists before is kind of like bad but now we're in a new thing and uh, yeah if you buy our porn then you can be safe that this is like totally consensual and fine and yeah when you're a bit like in the industry you know that there is not really this distinction and it's not so clear and yeah you can be treated very well on a, on a mainstream porn set but also like shitty on an indie porn set you know what i mean I think that there's this rise and um, it has a lot of good effects, but, but but at the same time, I feel, yeah, it also helps to like um, monetize and capitalize uh, our desires in a way that wasn't there before. Sometimes I have these thoughts like maybe some things are really better kept unspoken. I, I don't know. I, I wouldn't say so, but I think it's at least ambiguous. I think it comes down to a matter of transparency, really, you know, with the... Like, for example, with ethical porn production companies, like that they also like held accountable, you know, are they really what they say they are? And sex toy companies that it's not just like, you know, sell this like vibrator, it's going to give you an amazing orgasm. But like, let's talk about why maybe you have trouble orgasming, you know, mm -hmm. and go into like, so there's just, I guess, a really big responsibility that I see a lot of people that enter the sex scene in whatever kind of like platform it is they're not really aware of you know they enter into it because it's shiny and interesting and edgy and they want to be part of that but without maybe having like you know the right uh, tools to really do a proper job of it and then it's like our job as consumers to be able to like weed out the bad ones you know mm. and and it's not everybody who's equipped well for that Yeah, absolutely. This is exactly my thoughts. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I really like this conversation, but, but I think that we shouldn't think that we are coming to an end point. You know, like, for example, when we talk about consent during sex, it's absolutely important to have this conversation. But even if, like, two people say yes to a certain thing, it's still interesting to have this conversation. Like, why are we actually wanting what we want and where does this come from? And this... I personally find much more interesting. Or why do I, I say yes to a certain thing and not to another? And this is for me where, where like the interesting part begins. But whose mm -hmm. responsibility is it then to to initiate these conversations? Yeah, I think we all have to do that. Yeah. And yeah, this cannot really come from the outside. We have to do it ourselves, like this these reflections. And like, you know, I'm personally still working on it. I'm in the sex industry and in the indie porn scene since five years, but still I think the more I do it, the less I understand about my own sexuality and desires and it becomes stranger and stranger. <laughs> I think <laughs> I think that's very normal, you know, when you like dive into a subject and you realize that even though you become somewhat of an expert on it in other people's eyes you you realize that you will never become an expert in the field absolutely yeah, yeah. i think 2015 <laughs> i was super sure what what I, what i what i want in sex and uh, what feels good for me and i thought like okay i i know everything 
by then like a lot of these assumptions be became much and more challenged and now sometimes I, I don't know what what is sex at all and why do I like it and sometimes it feels just yeah so weird for me to have sex at all I mean of course I enjoy it you know <laughs> but I, I feel I also opened a box of Pandora <laughs> Do you have an idea about how the whole coronavirus and pandemic like disrupted the porn industry? I know it like closed down and was basically non-existent for a while. But I also heard that, for example, a lot of actual like political organs were looking to the porn industry to get inspiration because the porn industry have always been like very structured with testing. I know some people were looking to the porn industry for inspiration on like how to implement testing systems in other organizations but other than that do you have any idea like how the pandemic has kind of affected the industry well the big porn companies have been dying for years already mm. there are still some but in, in germany like it's really only a few since a long time it has been like almost impossible to like really live from performing porn there, there are some people but really not so much as um, in the past There is, uh, yeah, the slow death of the DVDs, the rise of like online tube sites where you can just like get your porn for free. And of course there are subscription systems, but still like porn performers make much less money than they used to do in, in the 90s and uh, early 2000s. And I have the feeling that now with the pandemic, um, this accelerates certain developments. I think some porn companies are still producing with certain restrictions, but I think it, it becomes less and less. And at the same time, I think these like bedroom productions are really on the rise. And I have a lot of friends who like really started or yeah, dig deeper in, into this like bedroom productions where they were either like just alone or just like them and a friend together Also, people are really looking for this kind of like amateurish look like, hey, hey, this is just me, your girl next door or boy next door. And I'm just like doing this out of my bedroom, which gives this like kind of spontaneous feeling of authenticity. Although we must not forget that also like this feeling of naturalness and authenticity is also something that is performance and constructed. So even though they say it's like the real sex, it's of course all made up, right? Yeah. Just as a spectator. So, yes, yes, yeah. yeah. You have to think of it. But so yeah. in general, the industry, you say bigger players are going to like scale down and maybe more indie scene is upcoming. Yeah, yeah. That, that's my impression. That's the thing right now. We're just guessing about our future, really. We mm -hmm. have no idea how it's going to look like. But, but thank you so much for coming here and helping me get a grip <laughs> on it. Yeah, I was very happy to be on your podcast. Finally. Yeah. <laughs>